Hello, friends. This week on the show, it's time for a segment of Ask Rachel. And we got some great questions this week. I talk about what to do when you find yourself losing passion for something that was once a big part of your personality or at the center of your life. In my case, it was teaching yoga and how we can soften into transitions when they come our way in life. We also talk about how to build community, finding our inner voice, and how we can stay true to ourselves even when the people around us think what we're doing is a little bit crazy. I think it's a great episode this week, and I'm so grateful I get so many amazing questions. Mothers deserve the absolute best. So this Mother's Day, spoil the moms in your life with little luxuries from Osea. Osea's skin and body care is the perfect way to remind all the moms, mother figures, caregivers, grandmothers, and mother-in-laws in your life to make time for themselves. If you have been looking for the perfect gift, I recommend Osea's Andaria Algae Body Oil. I've been using it for years, and it seems like every single time I apply it, I get compliments on my skin. This body oil is rich, but it's never greasy, and it's clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity. Your skin will feel more sculpted and toned, and you'll be left feeling silky, soft, and glowing. Another favorite of mine is the Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. Ever since I've been using collagen, I have noticed a difference in my skin. In fact, it's never been better. Using Osea's body oil and lotion together is a mega moisture duo, giving you a full body glow. Osea's products are infused with their signature Andaria seaweed, but it's also clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified. Really just a perfect gift for yourself, the moms in your life, and even the planet. Spoil the moms in your life with clean, vegan skin and body care from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with the code YOGA at oseamalibu.com. You'll get free samples with every order and free shipping on orders over $60. Head to oseamalibu.com and use the code YOGA for 10% off. Let's dive in. Okay, my people. Hello. Hi, hi, hi. I'm smiling. <laughs> I'm smiling so big right now, just getting to say hi to you. Hello. Hi. I love, I love, I love you. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, that's a good, good way to start this podcast. I love you. I so appreciate that you're here, that you're tuning in with me. I, as usual, when I sit down to record this little pod, I got to have a, a little mini ritual where I just ground into the body and take a breath. And I, I have a, a cup of nettle tea by my side and just uh, lit some Palo Santo. And I'm just sitting here with a moment of gratitude for you. It's really been a long, it's been a long, wild ride, this podcast, I feel. It's six and a half years of recording every week. And I'm just so happy that you're here and listening. And I really feel over the past couple of days, I've had so many deep conversations with people on social media that listen to this podcast. I've just had a week of feeling fairly positive about social media and particularly positive about this community and 
just grateful for the internet right now, grateful for this platform, grateful that we can sit in so many parts of the world and feel similar things and talk about things that matter and look for ways to feel better and take care of ourselves. And yeah, I'm just grateful that you're here. Today on the show, we have a segment of Ask Rachel which is also one of my favorite things to record, it really truly is. I actually, when I started this segment, which was I think uh, over a year ago now, I I actually had this idea that maybe this should be a separate podcast, like maybe I should have a separate podcast that's just this question-answer format. And instead we chose to do it like a monthly thing and it's been so lovely and so beautiful to hear your voices and yeah, I just I just love hearing from you. So before we dive in and I take the first question of the day, I uh, I can give a little update just of what's happening over here. So I'm sitting here looking out at rain, <laughs> but good kind of rain. Sweden here, the weather is so, the weather is so tricky. I don't know, like we had a really weird summer and then September and October has been so beautiful with blue skies every day and sun has been shining and it's really been a beautiful fall. And we are actually traveling in just a week and a half. So not next week, but the week after that, I'll be talking to you from the Maldives, which is so crazy and really fun and a little bit nerve wracking. Just we're traveling with Finn and we've never done that before. He's never been on a plane. We're going to see how that's going to go. But I'm excited to, yeah, to get to escape Sweden, at least for half of November, because November can really be this kind of, like, it's just getting darker and darker and darker, and it's usually wet and cold and gray, and it's going to be beautiful just to be back on the beach a little bit. Dennis said he's a little bit nervous to go because it's been so long now since we traveled anywhere. It's been over a year since we were in Aruba. And he said, I feel like I'm going to get really homesick just being in the Maldives and, you know, white beaches and blue water. And yeah, maybe he's going to miss miss his island home. We'll see. We'll see how this trip goes. But overall, I really feel like we are in just the easiest, breeziest time with this baby right now. Finn is, he's just a dream, I I don't know. I share little snippets of him on social media and just those little moments that that you get to see of him just lying on the floor beaming at us and smiling and laughing now. He has the cutest little laugh. Um uh, or sitting in our laps or just like hanging out. Like he's that's just kind of how that's that's his thing now all day. Um and it's so I have to immediately knock on wood because as we know, as soon as we get used to something with a baby, everything changes, right? But at least for now, um, we have a good routine going where he takes a good morning nap in bed and then we have a long nap in the stroller in the middle of the day and I go for a walk. Yesterday, he slept two and a half hours in the stroller and I'm just walking, <laughs> which feels really good. It feels good to be outside and moving my body and uh, just listening to the birds and sometimes I tune into a podcast or I talk on the phone with a friend or yeah, we have a good little, good little routine in our day going. And then Leah comes home from school in the afternoon and we bake or do something and evenings are a little bit hectic because he doesn't, yeah, he wants to be carried at all times in the evening, which is totally fine if you're more than one person. But when I'm alone and I'm wanting to cook for the family or clean up, 
get things, you know, moving, like we all have to eat, but he wants to be held at all times. It's really hard. So we have a little flow now where my brother comes over in the in the evenings and kind of helps out with Finn or helps us cook or we have this little little family dinners with my brother, which has been really beautiful. And Dennis works, he's away all day, every day, all week. It's a big transition, but it's going really well so far. And I feel just some excitement from him. And yeah, he has a beautiful purpose he's working toward now. So all in all, little end of October update over here, things are going really well. And of course, I'm speaking now just from this immediate little bubble of what's happening in our family. It takes big effort for me to anchor and stay anchored in that gratitude. Obviously, the everything that's happening, and it's such a silly sentence, like with everything going on in the world, that's the sentence we use when we don't want to get specific about which war which conflict, which genocide are we talking about? Obviously talking about Palestine and Israel. And I think last week I was deeply struggling, really, really. I mean, we're all struggling all the time, just digesting this information and feeling hopeless and oh, having a hard time even talking about it and wanting to be of service. Last week I was really spinning. Uh, this week I just feel more settled. And I was able to set some boundaries for myself around the news especially in terms of when I'm reading the news and how I'm digesting that. And this week, I just feel like I have my feet on the earth a little bit. And I feel a little bit more of service, to be honest. And uh, yeah, I'm sure we're going to have some questions today where we talk a little bit about that. But in case you need the reminder to do the things that anchor you, um, just give yourself permission to do that because it's when we are anchored that we can be of best service to the world. We all know this to be true. So yeah, so that's my little family update for right now. Um, but yes, let's take our first question of the day. I'm always so curious about what kind of questions we're going to get and how they align with all of our lives. It's so beautiful. Let's go. Hi, Rachel. My name is Caitlin. I'm 23 and I'm calling from Los Angeles, California. Um, I've been following you since the pandemic, um, and even though I'm not a mom yet, um, I really look forward to your pod podcast just every single Friday. Um, yeah, it's my self-care at the end of the week. Um, so I've been teaching yoga for about five years now, so I started when I was 18, um, but lately I find myself just dragging my feet to teach. I'm uninspired to sequence um, and really to even get on my own mat and practice. Um, and yoga has just been such an integral part of my identity for so long, and there's a big part of me, I think, that's struggling to accept that I'm not really enjoying teaching uh, anymore, and that it's really the first time that it's it's not aligning with me. Um, so my question to you is, how do you navigate your shifts in identity? I know you've been through some big ones in the past uh, few years, but uh, of course, from yoga, but also, you know, veganism, it could stand broader. But I just, yeah, I want to know, how do you handle when things you used to love just don't really align anymore? Um, I love you, and I'm so grateful for everything that you do. Thank you. Oh, hi, Caitlin. Hello. Oh, the moment you said hi, and I'm 23 years old, I was like, oh, because I, I feel like I'm 23. And then my brain went, oh, wait you're 12 years older than this 
beautiful girl who's talking to you right now. How is it possible? I don't know how I'm 35. I will forever feel like 23. 23 was like a golden part of my 20s. So how beautiful. It sounds like we have a little bit of a similar journey there. You know, I also started teaching yoga at a really young age and 23, having taught for five years. I mean, that's a lot of teaching already. And thanks for this question. I deeply resonate. I know this feeling so well. And um, yeah, let's let's talk about it. So I think as with anything, we make a part of our identity whenever we go through any kind of shift or change around motivation or inspiration or excitement or even just our ability to be present in that part of our lives, whenever that shifts, instead of just holding that as, oh, I'm not so interested in this anymore, or oh, I don't have as much time for this anymore as I used to, or oh, like here are other things that, that are interesting me now. Instead of just following that and going with that flow the way we do with everything else, because of course we change all the time and it's usually easy for us to accept that. But when we have that big identity intertwined in the thing we're doing, all of a sudden our ego goes, oh, no, no, no. We're supposed to be passionate about this all the time because it's who we are. We're supposed to jump out of bed every morning, super stoked to go teach because when people ask me, so what do you do? The first thing that I say is I'm a yoga teacher. So that's supposed to be the thing, right? And I think one of the reasons, at least this is what was most true for me, is the first little dip that I had for myself when it came to passion and excitement to teach was actually kind of around that same age that you are now. And it came from just having taken something that was so deeply personal to me, that was really part of my of my inner healing, of my most intimate moments in my day with myself. It was, you know, the mat was where I came to cry, the mat was where I journaled, the mat was where I felt strong and where I let myself be weak. The mat really was this vulnerable, vulnerable, intimate place for me. And then the moment I took that practice and I made it work, there, there was a few years there where that was just really exciting. And oh my God, I get to do this thing that I love and people pay me for it and I can travel doing it. It was this, wow, oh my God. But the more I did that, uh, especially connected to social media, where I started filming myself and taking photos of myself and all of a sudden, all of a sudden what happened on my mat changed. The feeling that I had when I stepped on my mat changed. And all of a sudden I found myself just feeling less excited, not just to teach, but also just to go to my own mat. And I think part of that is I shifted the energy from, from it being something that was just for me, just this private moment in my day, just this thing that was so intimate, right? And so personal. And all of a sudden I was sharing that with people in class and with the whole world through the online space, right? And I lost a piece of what was what was most important about that practice. And there was also that part, that, that transformational, life-changing moment that happened on the mat for me all the time. That's also where my inspiration to teach was sourced from. I never was that kind of person who, you know, I have never in my whole entire life sat down to write out a sequence for class. And people are always like, how is that possible? <laughs> That's the first thing they teach you in teacher training is to sequence your classes and to plan your classes, of course, and to write them out and do the whole thing. I have never not once in my life planned a yoga class. 
I always just step in the room and I teach from what is unfolding inside of me in that moment. And my classes were always very emotional, very heart-centered, heart-opening, and I would always source what I was teaching from what was happening in my own life. And that was beautiful and well and fine for a while, but it came to a point where I I started doing that so much that I it took away from the intimacy that I had with myself in my own practice. I found myself stepping on the mat to move just for me, but then my brain would go, oh, but then I could talk about this in next class maybe, or my brain would go, oh, should I take a photo of this? So maybe I should put my camera on, up. And I would kind of trick myself and say, well, if, if the camera is on and I film a whole practice, I still practice the same, right? Because I'm not broadcasting it live. I can choose if I share it or not. I can just take a little snippet and share. So I would just put my phone there and then kind of do my regular practice. But something would change every time. Every time I did that, there was a different energy to what happened on the mat. Even if I was pretending the camera wasn't there, I knew it was there. And a lot of that was maybe I would try to, I would be just aware. I would be aware that there's an outside presence here and that maybe I would share this. Maybe this would be content. I would just all of a sudden be more aware of what my body might look like versus just being in my body. I might think of like the angle of something. I might push myself a little bit more in an advanced pose than I normally would just because it would maybe look good. It was like kind of every time I did that, it it took away from the most sacred part of my yoga practice, the reason I found my way to the mat every day. And the more times I did that, the less inspired I got to teach and to practice. So that was my first kind of years. And it took me a little while to actually, to really realize that that's what had happened is I took this personal hobby, passion, lifestyle thing that was just for me and I made it work and it was awesome and amazing, but it also changed everything for me. So I had to, I had to return to a place where I was able to separate a little bit more between those two things. And for me personally, I have no idea if you are on social media at all. This might not relate to you personally, but for me, it meant not filming myself in my practice anymore, not taking pictures of myself in my practice anymore. And that might sound like ridiculous. Like, is that even a big thing? For me, it was a huge thing because I did that every day. I did that all the time. If anyone listening followed me on Instagram, back in those days (laughs) when I was 23, 12 freaking years ago. Yeah, early days of Instagram. I mean, I would post five, six, seven posts. I'm talking grid posts. There was no stories. There was no videos. There was only photos on Instagram back then. Every day. Like I just like I had I just made so much content centered around yoga and asana. And then I stopped. Yeah. You can scroll back into my account and there's this very clear moment. I don't know what year that was, but where I just I couldn't do it. I just, I, I, I started feeling this, ugh, this bad taste in my mouth every time I asked someone to take a, or usually Dennis, to take a photo of me in a pose or to, when I put my phone up for my own practice, I couldn't do it anymore. So I stopped. So that was one thing, just a way for me to separate work from practice. But there's ways to do that even if you're not on social media, or at least to try to set some boundaries around that in terms of what our time on the mat looks like what we're thinking about on the mat, if we're letting our minds spin off into sequence planning or writing down, oh, this pose would be good there. You know, is there a way to, what I'm trying to say is, is there a way for you to make your own personal practice intimate again? 
Maybe that means practicing in a different place, at a different time, in a different way. Maybe taking classes again. That's something that I find happens a lot when we start teaching a lot is that we stop taking classes. We stop exploring with other teachers. We're just, you know, we're at the studio and we're just teaching there. And then we come home and we have a home practice for ourselves. Like, is there something you can do to just re-inspire your personal practice? And that's where I would focus my attention if I were you, because probably having lost motivation to practice for yourself, that's where that loss of inspiration to teach comes from. Because everything we teach come everything we teach comes from our home practice. And if we lose our home practice, we're gonna lose the excitement to teach, right? Um, so that's one thing. Just try to really make your practice your own again, whatever that looks like. And then the other thing that might be at play, and this was at play for me, not then when I was that young, but later, I'm talking like kind of pre-pandemic, right before pandemic a time, like 2019-ish, is I, I burnt out. That was my thing. I was teaching and teaching and teaching, and I was doing a lot of groups and a lot of retreats and trainings, and I loved them so much. Whenever I'm in a group, I am on cloud nine, feeling so inspired, like I'm in it, let's go. But I was doing so much. So the first thing that happened is I was doing so many of those groups that I didn't have the energy to teach regular studio classes anymore. So I quit my studio classes or I did like one a week or something for a while. And those classes, the one a week that I had, I had Saturdays, I think, at the studio. Yeah, Saturdays, like 9.30, 75-minute class. I had to drag myself there, really. And that was my one studio class I had a week. It was my one chance to connect with the local community, with my regular people, and the day before, knowing like tomorrow I have, to, I have to get up and teach this class, I was dreading it. And then I would drive to the studio, just so uninspired, just, oh, and I would get in the shala and then I would see everyone and I would just speak those first words of a class and then I would feel good in the practice, in while teaching. Those 75 minutes always felt great. And afterward, I'm like, oh, I should teach more studio classes. I love it. <laughs> But then a couple of days would pass and I would kind of dread that next class again. And then the reason was it wasn't that something was wrong with me or something was, you know, yeah, there was nothing wrong with anything. I was just completely depleted and burnt out from teaching so much and having so many groups. So is there a chance that maybe you have been overdoing it a little bit or just teaching too many classes or maybe there's other things going on in your life where you're just giving from an empty cup? You know, look into that. And I think it's absolutely okay to take a break. You know, I don't know what else, if you have other avenues of income, if it's possible for you to take a break from teaching. Um, and that could also be a daunting thing if you've spent a lot of time building up a community, you know, what happens if we take a break? Um, but what would it look like for you to scale down or to take a complete like sabbatical from teaching just to see? Does that reignite something? Do you miss it? Do you feel relief? Maybe this is, maybe the universe is trying to open up another avenue, another door for you for something new or for your teaching to morph and grow into something bigger. That's what happened for me is I no longer just teach yoga, right? And what happened when I had that burnout in 2019, I thought I'm going to get back to all of this exactly how it's, how it's been, you know, after the pandemic, but that never happened. And then we ended up moving from Aruba and moving to Sweden. And I was trying to kind of, okay, should I do retreats here? How would I make that happen? And, 
you know, I was, I wanted to start it back up, but I didn't feel that big passion to like, let's go just book it. I could book anything anytime and no. And then I got pregnant, you know, and now I have Finn and I'm still sitting in that place of like, when do I start this back up? And that passion to do that, to do yoga retreats just isn't there. Um, so that's not something that I'm going to be doing, at least right, not right now. If I do groups again, I would love, I'm really excited to do like yoga and herbalism and astrology and maybe tea. Like if I would teach regular classes again or lead retreats again, it would be just a combination of more things that I feel really inspired about. Um, it wouldn't be just a twice a day yoga retreat because it's just, yeah, I feel like that part of my life is, is done for now. So maybe there's other things you can invite into your teachings that make you feel more excited or more inspired. I hope what I've shared so far is helpful, but you're not alone. And, you know, complete permission to reinvent yourself as many times as you need to and to lean into those changes when they come your way. Sometimes in life, skepticism can serve you well. It can save you money, keep you from wasting a day at a timeshare presentation, and help you avoid spreading gossip. To be honest, when I am faced with a new scenario, I usually tend to be a skeptic until something proves me wrong. And if you're like me, you can probably spot a too-good-to-be-true health hack from a mile away and read labels like it's your job. That's where ritual comes in. They know that every good skeptic deserves a multivitamin that exceeds your standards. Their clinically backed Essential for Women 18 Plus multivitamin has high quality, traceable key ingredients in clean bioavailable forms. Take two delayed release capsules per day that optimize your body's absorption and you'll get nine key nutrients. Rituals Essential for Women is USP verified, so you know you can trust what you're putting in your body. Only about 1% of supplement brands on the market have the USP verified mark, which shows the product contains the ingredients actually listed on the label. On top of that, Ritual multivitamins are vegan, non-GMO project verified, gluten and major allergen free, certified B Corp and made traceable. I take my vitamins every morning with breakfast. It's part of my daily ritual and I feel so good doing it. No more shady business. Rituals Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month at ritual.com slash yoga girl. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash yoga girl for 25% off. Let's take the next question. Hi, Rachel. My name is Melissa. I'm from New Jersey. Um, I've been following you for quite some time. I'm also a yoga teacher. That's how I kind of found you online. Um, and through the years, I've, you know, found your podcast and especially through COVID have found it, you know, so healing. And unfortunately, I've gone through a lot of trauma myself. And I feel like your approach and how you speak about taking care of yourself, you know, through that has really resonated with me. Um, my question might be a little bit general, but I'm curious if you know and understand um, the impact you've had on others, um, especially, you know, for my life. I finished reading your book a couple of months ago. Um, it was very serendipitous for me. I have been looking for a job for about a year um, when I had finished that book. And the next day, I 
got a bunch of emails from different jobs and ended up getting one of those jobs. Um, and really that last sentence in your book, the good things came, um, resonated with me so much that I tattooed it on my arm. So I'm curious if you really know and are with, you know, the impact you've had on others. Thanks. I hope to hear from you. Bye. Oh, wow. Hi, Melissa. Hi. Thank you. I, I, uh, I feel I feel very moved by what you shared. Um, and I struggle a little bit with how to answer you. The good things came, just you speaking that sentence brings tears to my eyes because I so, oh, at the end of that book, so anyone who hasn't read To Love and Let Go, you're going to be like, what? You're giving the ending away? Just the final sentence of that book. And when hearing you speak, it just brings me back to the moment where I had that big, big realization. And it really was, you know, it's it comes from the song, Nako's song, I believe in the good things coming, or Black as Night. And he sings, I believe in the good things coming, coming, coming. And that was my mantra. You know, that was really that sentence that I clung to for all those years of going through intense grief and intense change and loss and just really the hardest time of my whole entire life and it wasn't until that moment when Leia was born and she must have been she was younger than Finn it was in those kind of newborn weeks those first weeks and I was lying and I'm looking at my bed right now as I'm speaking these words mine and Finn's bed it looks very similar to the bed how the bed looked when I was postpartum with Leia all the pillows and different kinds of blankets and a water bottle. And um, with Leia, I also had one of those little side beds that you kind of connect to the side. I don't know what, what they're called, like a little baby bay, I think they're called. And I have one for Finn. He's never slept in it. <laughs> it's kind of where like all the stuff goes. But I'm looking at this postpartum bed now and I'm just so remembering that postpartum bed and the time that I had with Leia lying there. And I had her kind of nestled into the crook of my arm. And I have that tattoo around my left arm. It's a, it's wrapped around my left forearm. And it says, I believe in the good things coming. And I got that tattoo from that song, from wanting those words to be true so badly. It was a spur of the moment right before Dennis and I got married. I think two days before our wedding. We were just walking down the city streets of Stockholm with our friends that had flown in for the wedding. And it was this like highlight peak time of joy and so much beauty. But I was also grieving my best friend who had just passed away. And it was just so much. And I jumped into this tattoo studio and I was like, I want this tattoo. Can you, can you, do you have time? And they had space and I just sat down and I played that song and he tattooed that around my arm. I believe in the good things coming. And it wasn't until, you know, it was three years after that, where I was lying in bed and I had Leia in the crook of my arm there. And she was kind of, she had her head nestled in the, kind of in my inner elbow. And I remember leaning up against those pillows, just looking down at her and her perfect little face. And like my daughter, you know, life was so full. And she was lying with her little squishy cheek pressed up against that tattoo. And I had that just big, yeah, I'm crying now sharing this this big realization of like the good things came and the good things really came they came with her and it took three years of processing and healing and grieving the trauma of 
of the loss of my best friend and the many other things that happened that year for me to actually integrate and realize that the good things came like she came and that was the beginning of a whole new life for me that was the beginning of a brand new chapter and a closing of a lot of that pain and a lot of that trauma and I kind of forgot that's how I ended the book <laughs> it's uh yeah I haven't reread my own book yeah it was it was a lot of years of, of writing that and a lot of oh, a lot of tears writing that and it was right before the pandemic you know I had a little book tour end of 2019 releasing the book and then the pandemic came and that also felt like that was another chapter for all of us but it was a big chapter for me and then that led us to Sweden so I haven't I haven't really reconnected with the book in a long time but the good things came so thank you Melissa for bringing me that that memory it was just really warmed my heart especially sitting here postpartum again with that same you know same bed <laughs> same so much similar but so much so very different so your question was if I have if I know if I understand the impact I've had on other people's lives, I feel immediately like I want to deflect that question. Like I feel uncomfortable, a little bit uncomfortable when you say that. I am more in the place of like, well, who am I to, you know, <laughs> to inspire someone or to, you know, I, I, I don't know. I feel I have a really hard time. Yeah, I have a hard time taking any kind of ownership of being a person that has helped change people's life. I don't, I, I, that feels strange to me <laughs> even though I hear it all the time I, I do I and every time someone writes me or um, you know I get some sends me a letter or just the other day someone sent me a letter just a letter out of the blue just sharing similar things like you have shared how they were inspired by the book or the podcast or I know the words that I speak here resonate with a lot of people and I know they can be really helpful but I'm also not the kind of person who is comfortable um, saying, I don't know. Like I've met people who are like, oh, so so what do you do? So I'm a healer. And I always felt like, oh, wow, that's like a, that's a big, that's a big word to like take ownership of. You know, I've never had that feeling I've, I've ever of, I really think we heal ourselves. We do the work ourselves um, and we can connect with people and work and books and podcasts and source inspiration and support and resonance from so many other places but the work that we do is us like no one ever heals us or does that for us so I always had a little bit of like a I don't know I don't I, I, I never love it when someone comes in and takes that kind of role of like I'm the one who changes people's lives like we don't no one does that you know I mean we do that we do that work. And I think we should really own that and honor that. But yeah, of course, I love hearing that I've had an impact on someone's life. That's so beautiful. And you had that sentence from my book tattooed. I mean, that's incredible. That just makes me so grateful and makes me feel so connected to you, even though we haven't met. <laughs> and makes me really, really just happy that the book lives on and that the words I wrote has impact on people. And yeah, so I guess the answer to your question is, is is no, I don't really understand that. And I also feel kind of uncomfortable by the idea. <laughs> um, 
And honestly, a lot of the time, a lot of the time I kind of feel the opposite. I don't know. A lot of the time I feel like, oh, I'm out here in the woods and I'm not really doing anything. And, oh, you know, I have a little bit of FOMO about stuff. Like I should be creating more or doing better things or uh, I don't know, like I'm missing out on opportunity that I step back from everything and that I'm not out there teaching and doing stuff, you know. So it's really lovely to be able to sit here in my little postpartum bedroom and hear from you and just to know that. So thank you. Thank you. You um, really moved me today. Thank you. Hi, Rachel. It's Becca. I am calling in from Brooklyn, New York. And um, gosh, I have been keeping, I've been inspired by you since the beginning of your journey as a yoga instructor, and I'm at the beginning of mine right now. I've been teaching for about two years and practicing for about 14, and kind of want to bring it back to asking you about your roots of becoming a yoga instructor, and um, especially nowadays, it feels like, you know, there are so many people teaching yoga, which is amazing, and it's what we all want, but sometimes... It can feel hard to stay rooted in your own practice as a teacher. Um, and so I'm curious as to how you started building your community as a yoga instructor and, and stayed true to your identity. So both kind of how you built your community and, um, and staying authentic to you. Um, all right. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Rachel. Lots of love. Bye. Oh, wow. I love it when we have just questions that align. I mean, in one pod, I feel like that happens a lot. I actually, I did an interview on another podcast this week. It was my first interview in forever, a podcast called Skincare Anarchy. So it's actually a pod about skincare, but they have a mindfulness segment that they do. And and that podcast ended up being completely yoga focused. We all we spoke about was yoga, um, the practice of yoga and meditation and teaching yoga and meditation. And it was so long since I got to have a conversation centered around that just because I've expanded so far outside of yoga now. And I felt so inspired just after that conversation, inspired to get on my mat. I felt inspired to teach. And then I was talking to Dennis this week about, should we start doing live classes again? I feel like postpartum wise, maybe I'm ready. But then I brought that up. Like, I don't know how inspired I am to commit to like a weekly class, or I would love to do something more in person. Like we really had that whole talk about inspiration, motivation, getting back to teaching and yeah. And then now I'm getting these questions just really from yoga teachers, just really centered around exactly what I'm thinking about. So yeah, thank you for, for asking. So I'll keep this a little kind of short since I we spoke about a little bit about this already at the beginning of this pod. But yeah, how I got started around building community, really sh- showing up. There's, there's, there's no better way to build than to show up. And showing up for our community means that we show up again and again. So committing to the classes and the community and the times that we, that work for us, and then continuing to really be there. I find that the way for me to connect with my students was always much more about the personal connection than it was the poses I was teaching or 
how complicated my sequence was or if my playlist was great. You know, it's like not just about having a good class, but about forming that connection with the humans that enter the space. So I always found if I showed up early for class, I was there long before class started. I had time to actually talk to people before practice began and how are they doing and what's going on with their lives and how are their bodies? And not everyone was excited to have that conversation pre-class. You know, some people just come and they just want to be left alone and be on the mat and not talk to anyone. But a lot of people I found did come to class because they were looking to connect with each other and connect with me. And so especially those early years, if I taught a one-hour class, I would be there 45 minutes pre-class and I would end up staying sometimes, yeah, 45 or more after class. Um, And it would become like a little gathering of the people who wanted to linger, who had the space and time where we would talk and maybe go over something that came up in practice or talk about the state of the world or talk about, you know, whatever was just present there. So those, and this is of course, like, you know, it means having the time to do that. At the time I did, I didn't have kids waiting for me at home, you know, it'd be more challenging for me to spend three hours on a one hour practice. But I did a lot of that, a lot of that, a lot of that, just face-to-face, deeper conversations, um, just to really connect. And then um, when it comes to just staying authentic, this was, I've talked about this before, but a, a long time ago, when I first started teaching, I had this grand idea of here is what a great yoga teacher is like. Uh, you know, a yoga teacher is supposed to be X, Y, Z. They're supposed to look a certain way, talk a certain way, be a certain way, act a certain way. And the teachers that I had had so far in my life all were, most of them were Ashtangis. Um, They were all very stoic. It was the kind of practice where just they would enter the room completely silent and maybe just go sit on their mat and close their eyes. And it was like this very serious vibe in the room all the time. And yeah, none of that like pre-class chatter or, you know, it's just like, this is serious, you know, that, that those kinds of teachers were the teachers I had had before. And so I would try to do the same thing. I would enter class and I would just keep my head held very high and I would take on this persona of like, I don't know, almost like holy, you know, like now this is yoga teacher, Rachel, and she speaks with this kind of voice and she says these kinds of things and she has this kind of energy when in reality, you know, I have, I have some of that. I can have a part of that in me, but it's not who I am. Um, and all of those, that, that first, I think maybe year of teaching when I was trying to teach in that certain way, the first thing that happened is I attracted different kinds of people. I attracted people that maybe weren't 100% right for me you know, when it, when it comes to building community. So people would kind of, they would come for a few classes and then they would kind of drift off. And I had, a, it took me a while to build community because I wasn't 100% truthful to who I really was inside when I was teaching. And people can smell that. Even if there's a little hint of bullshit, <laughs> they can smell that a mile away. You feel it. And also I was nervous to teach. I felt like, because every time I came to class, it was like I was putting on a little bit of a show. It was like I was stepping into this other kind of shoe in in a way. So it made me nervous. It made me a little rigid. It made me, you know, and uh, it wasn't until I dropped that and I started relaxing and I realized like I have to just be exactly who I am. And the version of me that I am is like, I will curse. Like I do that. (laughs) 
I curse all the time. I laugh a lot. I like to tell jokes. I like to be really personal when I teach. I like to make people cry when I teach or make people laugh. Like I want people to feel something. And I do that through personal storytelling. I do that by sharing what's actually in my heart, maybe talking about my day. Like I, I teach a very certain specific kind of class. And in that kind of class, like it's okay to fall over. It's okay to fuck up. It's okay to accidentally curse. Like it's okay, you know. And I started just letting me be me realizing that if I am exactly who I am, I might not attract those stoic like ashtangis that I was practicing side by side with when I was starting my own practice, you know, they might not vibe with me and that's okay because that's actually not the person that I want, that I need here. You know, I need people here who, or I want people here who just vibe with who I am. And then I started getting a whole different kind of clientele started showing up, a different kind of community started forming around around my classes because I was just who I was. And that's also a relief, I think. It's a relief to walk into a class and just there's a relaxed energy there versus like, you know, that feeling of walking into a class as a beginner, feeling like, oh, I have to be a yoga kind of person here or I'm not going to fit in. Like that's also not the kind of vibe I want in my class. So make that class yours. And there's something so unique about who you are. There's something so unique about the story you have to share. There's something so special about what you have to bring to the world. And it's when you allow yourself to be you all the way that that's going to shine through. And people are going to feel the difference. They're going to feel that. And I really think that's how you build community. So thank you. Um, I'm really loving these questions so far. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Hi, Rachel. My name is Alyssa. And I have a question for you that I think you probably have contemplated a lot yourself throughout life. And it has to do with the fact that we are seemingly exposed to chemicals and toxins everywhere we turn every single day. I just recently found out that contact lenses, which I've been wearing since the third grade, are extremely toxic, full of PFAs and forever chemicals that are linked to cancer and a bunch of other health issues. And this causes me a lot of anxiety because I'm really blind and I feel like it's almost as if I don't have another option. Um, and I just get really frustrated and angry with the fact that 
it seems like everything causes cancer these days. And how do I even mitigate or discern between what's worth taking the risk and, yeah, how do you feel about that? I'm really curious how you move through life um, coping with this fact and what you do to mitigate or discern between what's worth it and what isn't. Um, yeah. <laughs> I love you so much and thank you. Oh, hi, Alyssa. Hello. Uh, I was uh, literally having this conversation with one of my best friends yesterday. <laughs> literally, literally talking about that we both, so my best friend or one of my best friends, Michaela, we've both been on a similar journey, journey with mold, journey with toxins, uh, heavy metals, just journey of detoxifying and journey of being sick and burnt out. And like we've had kind of parallel stuff where we've been at times just completely immersed in deep detoxes where we change our whole lives and our whole diets and take these supplements and go with these very serious strict regimens to fix this and fix that. And we have both arrived at a place in our life now where we are more relaxed, <laughs> where we are not currently actively doing something where just we eat the food that we want to eat and we drink some wine and we have lots of dessert and we're just kind of more relaxed about our approach to health. And we just had this conversation around what a relief it is to not be actively freaking out about something. Um, because I really feel like I have been actively freaking out about a lot of things when it comes to health for quite some time. So the first thing I want to say, and this is so important that we understand, and the moment I really understood this for real, it absolutely changed things for me, or it changed how I approached things like this, like finding out that contact lenses are toxic and full of crap. Okay, that's like, oh, you know, it's, it's, it's a big moment. There is nothing more detrimental to our health. There's nothing more toxic to our systems than stress. Truly, I mean, I and I really, really have arrived at a place in my life where I understand that this is true. There's nothing more detrimental to our health, to our physical health, to our emotional health, our mental health, our spiritual health, to our well-being overall than stress. And whenever we come across something like this, or we find out new information about something, or we start to, you know, like, like exactly, this is a great example. Okay, so this is happening. I've been wearing contact lenses my whole life, finding out that this might not be the best thing for my health, or this might be detrimental to my health. The, the stress response that we put ourselves in by going in, going down that rabbit hole, going into that place of panic of holy shit, oh my God, what has this done to my health so far? How am I going to fix this? What's happening? What research do I need to look into now? What's a doctor? What's a healer? How has this impacted me? Oh my God, oh my God. And if you're anything like me, I don't know if you have kids, but whenever something like this happens to me, I go into that and I start spinning. And what that does to our bodies, I think genuinely is more harmful than being exposed to the thing that we might have been exposed to. And there's, it's so easy to get to that place of just absolute cortisol, adrenaline, panic, 
And then to remain in that state, the more research we do, the more digging we do, the more looking around and realizing that freaking everything is toxic these days. Everything is going to give us cancer. Everything is. And so we have to find a way to stay regulated and to keep our feet on the ground and to not go into that stress response as we deepen our healing journey. Like that's really the most important thing. And something to just, I like to just remind myself of the fact that there are people who don't do any of the stuff. <laughs> there are people who have never taken a supplement in their entire lives, who've never thought about their diet, who, you know, never had a thought around air quality, water quality, what's in my contact lenses, is there mold growing in my home, you know, what are the heavy metals I'm exposed to as I'm washing my hands with this soap right now, like never had that thought that live to be 100 years old, thriving all throughout, like those people walk this earth every day. I met just this week, I was in the city and I met one of my best friend's grandmother, she's 97 years old, and she still walks around town, She's 97. She still walks around town, just hanging out, doing her thing. She was an active smoker every day of her life until COVID. And she got COVID when I guess she was 94 years old. She got COVID. And that's the moment she was like, okay, I guess I'll quit smoking. Fine. For the first time in her life, she quit smoking because she got COVID. Sailed through COVID. She eats pastries and like, you know, like in Sweden, we do a lot of fika. We eat a lot of cinnamon buns and cake. And every day of her life, this woman eats cake. Smoked her whole life. She not only looks fantastic at 97, lives by herself, lives her own life, walks around town, but she feels great and she's never sick. <laughs> And I just met her this week. So I was telling Olivia, my best friend, like I met your grandmother. How is she doing so fantastic? Like at this age, it's just, it's just miraculous. Like it's amazing. And this is a woman who not one day in her life worried about her health. So I love to just remind myself of that. And I'm sure, I'm certain that there's something about this that's so important when it comes to our nervous system and how well regulated we are. Like this is a, a key piece, how much we worry about our health is going to affect our health, like really. So for me, what that looked like is I just needed to find a less dramatic, less panicky way to go about these things. And finding out something like that, it's like, okay, well, do I have issues in this moment now? Do I have something urgent happening with my health, with my body that makes it really hard for me to get through my day? Because oftentimes when I find something like that out, I'm actually, I'm feeling pretty good, right? I'm like, I'm actually doing well. Actually, overall, my health is just fine. And, you know, maybe chances are that this just hasn't impacted me. But if I go down a rabbit hole of trying to find how it might have impacted me, I'm sure I can find something, right? But our bodies are really, really resilient. Like we make it through so much. And I think the best way to go about this is to do the best we can in the most important areas. And that's kind of how I approach health, especially the world of just toxicity, which is, which is the world. And those areas that I really focus on is water and air. First of all, first and foremost, I'm always going to be the kind of person who has an air purifier in her bedroom. I'm always going to be the kind of person who has an air purifier in her kids' bedrooms, regardless of where I live 
uh, for me, that is just a non-negotiable thing. And knowing that, like I'm already eliminating so many toxins that I would be exposed to all throughout the day, day and night, every moment of my life breathing just by doing that. So I'm like, okay, I'm taking a lot of the toxic burden away just from that one simple decision and making sure that I clean those filters. Like, yes. Um, having a water purifier at home, like we have groundwater here. We have our own wells. Our water is already really good. But in this whole area of Sweden, we have a slight issue with uranium. Like this is a, and people don't really know because the levels that are deemed acceptable with uranium in Sweden, they're pretty high. Um, so there's no, you know, it's not like people are talking about that or think that that's an issue because the our version of FDA has said that this is acceptable levels. For me, they're not acceptable. And for any like health practitioner in this area, they say this is not acceptable. But so for me, having a water purifier for that reason and lots of stuff, like there's pharmaceutical runoff in all of our water and water obviously is the source of life. So I just make sure I have good water, good air. And I really find that I, I eliminate a lot of that burden that way. And then I can make choices that don't have to ruin my life, like, or make life completely impossible. So just, we use non-toxic cleaners at home. We use non-toxic shampoos and conditioners and soaps and like all that stuff, like body, skin, home care. And because I've made that sweeping decision for the family, like that's just what we do. I don't have to think about that. It's not strange. It's not a burden to, to, to buy the non-toxic soap instead of the toxic soap. Like it's just, it's just life. So that doesn't stress me in any way. And same with makeup and with those kinds of things. When I source something new, I just, I just automatically look for the least toxic version of that. It's just a way of life now. And that means that um, the other day, like we ran out of our dishwashing tablets. I buy them online. We can't buy them in a regular store here. The eco version of that. And we ran out and then it comes home with like the peak toxic one, like the one they have in the store, the like regular, you know, and you look at them and they have that like, like you know, that fake plastic that disintegrates in the dishwasher and it's like green and blue and you you just know, like this is a little, literally, if I would eat this, like I would have to go to the hospital. Like that's how toxic this dishwashing tablet is. And we were using it to clean our dishes that we eat off of, that my kids eat off of, you know, like this is really bad. This is really bad. This is, this is toxic as shit. But because I have minimized my toxic load overall, as much as I can in most areas of my life, I don't freak out about that. I don't worry about that. It's like, okay, well, th this box has 30 of these. We're going to have 30 loads of dishwashing done now um, with this version of dishwashing tablets, and that's fine. And then next week, you know, this new package will come in the mail and, and it's fine. Like we don't have to talk about it. We don't have to fight about it. It's just, it's okay. Like life happens and we can't control every area of our lives. We can't we can't. And trying to do that, like if I would have made a thing about him buying that kind of dishwashing tablet or said like, we're going to do all of our dishes by hand now until this box has come in the mail or, you know, we would have a fight. It would be stressful. It would be like annoying. So no, I just shrug my shoulders. I'm like, okay, that's okay. You know, I just do my best. I do my best and I do my best to not stress and to not have it be a source of stress or drama in my life because I know that's worse for my health than eating off of the plates cleaned with that stuff you know so that's my I guess my really my only advice for you 
And, you know, Dennis just got contact lenses. He's had glasses for a long time. He had the, the LASIK surgery and then it didn't go well. That surgery was a lot, a lot of years ago. So he went back to wearing his glasses, but it bothers him and it's hard for him to work out with his glasses. So he didn't tell me he was planning to get lenses. He just got lenses and came back. And my thought was not even thinking about the PFAs and the plastics and whatever's, whatever the lenses are made of. But my first thought was, well, what about your circadian rhythm? <laughs> like we are learning so much right now about how important it is for our health to get sunlight through our eyeballs. And I, you know, and I just thought that like, if you're going to wear lenses all day, all night, like, is that going to affect the kind of UVA and UVB that you, that you ent that enters through your body? And then I did that research and it does. Um, and instead of like, you know, making a thing or like, Hey, you should do this and that. I just encourage him very gently to wear to walk outside for the first minutes of the day. Like when he walks Leia to the bus, for example, like do that without glasses and lenses on. Spend five minutes just getting that daylight in, in at sunrise and at sunset. And that's it. Like that's not a major crazy life change. It's not, you know, at least for him in this stage of his life, like it's totally, totally doable, totally fine, not a stressful thing. And I feel like that's going to be supportive for his health. So if something feels manageable and doable, then, then I would lean toward that. But if it's something like, hey, I can't live without this thing, then I would do my best to just embrace it, find the lesser or the least toxic version of it, and then focus on the other areas of your life that are really effortless. Like once you have that air purifier in your bedroom, you're not going to think about it. It's not going to be a thing anymore. Are there other areas where you can minimize that toxic burden so that it's okay? Like those lenses, it's going to be just a minor thing that doesn't impact your overall health overall. Because it really is about, at least that's how I look at the world of, of toxicity, is the toxic burden that we go through overall in a day. And if you think about that, like say you're breathing polluted city air, say you're drinking chlorinated city water, you're, you know, putting soaps and lotions and shampoo in your scalp and shaving cream and lots of perfume and then five layers of makeup and all of that stuff is filled with toxins and heavy metals. And then you're eating non-organic food all throughout the day or you're eating processed food all throughout the day. Like all of these things add up. And it's having that add up at its maximum day after day after day after day after day that becomes a really heavy toxic burden. So just shifting one of those things to minimizing that toxic burden is going to make a change and it's going to make an impact because our bodies do a really good job at detoxifying what enters our system to a certain point, right? To a certain point. So I don't know. I hope this, what I'm sharing was helpful. I definitely feel you. And this is, I'm speaking to you from a person who's like very, I'm, I, I feel very relaxed about my health right now compared to where I have been, where I try to control every single thing. Even to the point of, uh, I realized we might have mold in our root cellar, <laughs> which is our root cellar is this kind of like half underground area. Uh, where I store extra food and abundance of food and I store our carrots and our potatoes for the winter. And I just walked in there the other day. The weather has shifted pretty quickly here. It got really cold really quick and it's humid as hell in there all of a sudden and it hasn't been. Uh, I just think summer months just it, it wasn't as humid and now it's fall. It is wet. It's raining and I just went inside and I had that smell, that feeling. I'm like, oh my God, we're going to have mold in here. 
And I could go into a frenzy about that, like a complete panic, like we have to renovate this, I have to get all the food out, oh my God. And I decided I'm not going to do anything. <laughs> I'm not going to panic. If we lose the food in there, like I lose a whole season worth of potatoes, like that's okay. Like I had a, I had a lot of fun growing potatoes this season. If we lose them, they will go in the compost pile and they will compost and we will use that compost for next season's growing and that's fine. Like, um, if they're not like, you know, severely overly molded, then I would probably throw everything away. But just, I was really okay with the idea of like, I might lose this and that's okay. And if there's mold in here, that's okay. I can, at some point when we have the finances, like try to renovate this and get better ventilation installed. And like, this is solvable. I'm not going to go into that, which a year ago I would be like, who has touched something from the root cellar and touched something else in the house? When was the last time I brought food from there in? Have we eaten some of this stuff now? Wait, does Leia have mycotoxins in her system? Like I would go spin and spin and spin and spin. And I would tell the whole family to stay away from this room. And and now I'm like, yeah, you know, if we have mold, we have mold. Like, it's okay. I'll deal with that. It's fine. And I really think that's the healthier place to be in. So do your best. Don't drive yourself crazy and focus on doing things that help support your nervous system so you can stay really regulated as you support your health. Because I really think our nervous system is the most important thing. So nourish yourself there. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Okay, let's take our last question of the day. Hi, Rachel. This is Charlotte calling from the Cayman Islands. Um, thank you, firstly, so much for everything that you do. I absolutely love um, all of the things that you do, and I've been listening to your podcast from the beginning and followed all your travels and your journey and read your book, and you've really, you've really helped me in my life. And I'm especially loving the view from your um, dressing room every morning at the moment. It's so lovely. Um, anyway, my question is, um, how do you stay grounded or rooted in your purpose um, and driven to follow your hopes and dreams when people around you, sorry, that's my dog, don't seem to get what you're doing or necessarily see your vision and support you? Um, and I just wanted to know how you trust that you're doing the right thing. And I suppose I just wondered where your your sort of obvious core confidence and self-assuredness come from. And do you ever feel doubt in the face of negativity? Um, 
Yeah, so that was my question. Um, sending lots of love to you and Dennis and your beautiful children. Thank you so much. Bye. Oh, hi, Charlotte. Hi. Oh, Cayman Islands. How wonderful. This is, uh, <laughs> you know, I do get this question from time to time. I think I think I, I am perceived as more confident than I actually am. <laughs> And the reason that is, I think, is because I'm really good at just doing things anyway. I think that's a little bit of where my my superpower comes in, is that even when I feel insecure or unsure or I have that inner critical voice get really loud, like who am I to give this a try or who am I to enter this space or who am I to make this thing happen, you know, I I just I just do it anyway. I'm I'm pretty good at going into the the initiation of something and not letting myself kind of stew or sit in the thinking place of worry or judgment or insecurity. So what that looks like is I'll be really insecure about something and I'll take that insecurity with me as I just move forward anyway. <laughs> Does that make sense? Like I don't I don't let the insecurity stop me somehow. And I think part of that is, I also look at that astrologically, like I'm a Sagittarius rising. Part of my life calling is, is, is to make change and to speak the truth and to kind of learn how to sit in the discomfort of not always being accepted and not always being liked. So what that means is I just, I put myself in those situations a lot, even though it makes me severely uncomfortable. I feel like there are certain people who just genuinely don't give a shit about what other people think. They don't care. I, I really do believe there, those people are out there <laughs> and where they just speak their mind all the time and they just throw themselves into whatever project or business or yeah new endeavor constantly, even if the whole world is telling them that this is dumb and this is not the right thing and they are crazy. They just go for it. Like They just have this super confidence where literally it doesn't matter what the world says. And I am not that person at all. Uh, when I get critiqued, when people don't agree with what I'm doing, when I get negativity or hate sent my way online, it really, really impacts me. It really does. And it always has. And I just, I just, it, I just can't not say what, I, what I'm here to say anyway. So when I'm doing those things that maybe look like confidence, that look like feeling very sure of myself, even though other people might not agree, it's, it's not that. It's just that I'm doing the thing along with the insecurity and the fear of what people are going to say. And then this constant life journey of finding somehow comfort in the discomfort of not being liked by, by everyone. And it's kind of interesting because I, for a person who really wants to be liked, I want everyone to agree with me. I want everyone to like me. I want, I want everyone to, you know, I want to be in this place where everybody's just happy and everything is good. Like I really need that validation for someone who has that innate personality trait. I sure do say shit tons of radical stuff <laughs> and rub people the wrong way and speak my truth even though it doesn't resonate with other people and kind of go my own weird way anyway like it's really yeah those things they really they don't look they don't align <laughs> they really don't. 
So, uh, I mean, an example of that is this thing that I'm doing now in Sweden with the Swedish media after I, I free birthed Finn, which was a very personal decision. Absolutely. 1000% just this thing that I did for me and um, knew it was going to ruffle feathers. I knew I'm in, living in a country now where they just really don't like people going their own way, especially not when it comes to medical care and all of this. And I could have just kind of done that quietly. And I did throughout pregnancy because I was really protecting my space. And then now Finn is four months old and this conversation is out there. And I have done tons of interviews now here where people, literally journalists are calling me like, who do you think you are? <laughs> like, like I've had people just really get really upset and they don't like that I've shared these choices. They don't like that I'm saying, uh, talking about sovereignty and birth. They don't like at all. They think it's really irresponsible that I'm sharing that I did a free birth and encouraging people to find their own way. And I am deeply uncomfortable by all of this. I feel really oof, icky about it, about being exposed and having so much negativity around me and knowing that there's there's thousands of people in this country right now that kind of like they're ridiculing me or, or they're, they're just hating me. But the feeling I have inside of this fire of speaking my truth and really believing that it's necessary that we have these conversations and that it can be life-changing for people to have these conversations to show another version of what birth can be and how empowering this can be and also exposing the things that aren't right with the medical system. Like that fire burns so strongly inside of me that I just do it anyway. And I just accept that, yeah, I'm going to be really uncomfortable for a while having this hatred, having this, these people saying, no, this is stupid. And somehow, whenever, whenever it is, whenever I follow that inner voice that says this is the right thing, it makes that insecurity bearable. Like I can live with myself. Um, I think the other way around, like staying silent about things that really matter or not going for things that I really feel passionate about because of the fear or to try to placate people or to try to just be accepted, I don't think I could live with that. It's easier to live with not being super liked than it is living with ignoring that inner voice or living a life that's less authentic than, than what I need it to be. And I don't know if this answers your question at all. Maybe your question was a little bit more around, you know, like inner confidence and kind of going for, for things that we feel that we feel strongly about when it comes to maybe work or, or family. But I really do believe that having that inner conversation with ourselves consistently where we know ourselves, like that's the only way to move forward in any way. So I think that's a really good question to just to just ask. Like, do you know yourself innately? Are you in conversation with yourself? And how are we in conversations with ourselves? So for me, that's either through meditation. It's through having space to feel and process my feelings so that I'm really in that state of flow where things don't get bottled up and that starts to cloud my ability to, to hear that inner voice. So crying a lot. <laughs> It's like a really important part, I think, of, of, of understanding and knowing our most authentic selves. Um, journaling is a really beautiful way to do that. Therapy can be a really beautiful way to do that. Um, sharing, being in conversation uh, with people in an authentic way. But, and meditation, you know, sitting in silence with ourselves, like knowing ourselves 
And when we know ourselves, when we know that highest self, we know that innermost authentic voice, it becomes really hard to ignore. Because sometimes we're trying to do something, but we're doing that out of ego or, you know, we want external validation or we want people to like us or we want to make a bunch of money, but we don't have a clear, you know, passion or purpose attached to it. Like we're doing things for the wrong reasons, kind of. And when our inner voice is really loud, loudly telling us, no, not this, go there, do that. It's just very clear. And when we're in that place of integrity, what people say It might matter, it might make us feel insecure, it might be hard, but it's going to matter less than the need to follow that voice and do the thing we're meant to do. So I would just say, like, I guess my advice would be to just do more of the things that allow you to be in conversation with yourself, to cultivate that ability to really listen, because there is a higher self inside of you. There is that innermost, truest voice, that version of who you are. And that voice usually speaks with crystal clarity. And it's impossible to ignore. And as long as we follow that place of integrity, we're going to end up, I think, where we're supposed to be. Um, I hope that answers your question and I hope that makes sense. Um, Thank you so much for being here with me for another episode of Ask Rachel. If you are listening to this and you're like, I have a question, you know, go ahead and give me a call right now. Uh, So if you're in the U.S., you just call 720-443-1771. If you're outside of the U.S., you have to do the plus one and then the same number. So 720-443-1771 and just ask your question. And in a couple of weeks, I'll be right here answering you. Have a beautiful rest of this week and I'll see you soon. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you enjoy the show, make sure you listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes of From the Heart with Rachel Brayton. This was a presentation of Cadence 13 Studio, and I'll see you next week.